Welcome to the New England Football Journal podcast. I'm John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone. And we're coming live to you today with our 2020 Boston College football preview. Of course, the Eagles kick off the 2020 season this Saturday at noon at Duke. So obviously, Kevin, we've got a lot to talk about here. And let's just jump right into the offseason and talk about the hiring of Jeff Halfley to start. Obviously, mm-hmm. they hired Halfley after Steve Adazio was fired in December. Um, and, and one of the things that immediately jumped out at you, and you were at his introductory press conference, but one of the things that immediately jumped out at you was just his his energy, his vibe. It was a completely mm-hmm. different vibe than what we had come to to know with Steve Adazio. Steve yeah. Adazio wanted to play a hard-nosed style of football, run the football, recruit heavily up front, recruit tight mm-hmm. ends, play a physical brand of football. And he talked about being a dude, and it was all about winning the line of scrimmage and setting the tone. And when you look at Jeff Halfley, a completely different mentality. He was the defensive coordinator at Ohio State, has extensive NFL experience. He comes in, and, and he's, in essence, a breath of fresh air because his approach is completely different to Adazio's. You know, the thing with Adazio is if you spend any time around him, he was an old-school Italian guy, kind of gave off this, this rough-and-gruff mm-hmm. vibe. He had a persona about him. Jeff yeah. Hapley, the one time I'd been around him, completely different kind of guy. So I guess the, my opening question to you is, how different do you think, based on your experience from being around the program last year and now this year thus far, how different has that transition been from Steve Adazio to Jeff Hapley? So you said it. I, I was only there, you know, last year, my first year being there. Uh, so like you said, Adazio, he gave off that old school Italian vibe. Um, I couldn't say it better myself. He reminds me of some uncles I have. Um, but having said that, he was, again, more so, you said it, an old school, you know, pound the ball, looking at, you know, go mess people up kind of guy. Jeff Halfley seems a lot more cerebral, uh, in my opinion. So, uh, again, you mentioned the uh, the introductory press conference. I had never heard him speak until that day. He had an entire room in the palm of his hands. Now it was love, it was love at first sight with you because you've been in his fan club ever since. Hey, well, man, I, I know good coaching when I hear it. Um, my father was a head coach uh, when I was a kid for lacrosse, not football, but um, I know good motivation. You know when I hear it, and uh, and now granted. That day, it was all alumni and, you know, a lot of his fans or soon-to-be fans in that uh, in that room. But um, ever since day one, man, he has been this exact same guy for every meeting, uh, every time he's met the media, every time he's talked about a player. It's been the same tone, the same tenor. Uh, and I think that's huge for uh, not only this team, but uh, the teams, you know, down the road that, that he's trying to put together. You know, one of the things that you notice that's been completely different since his arrival is Boston College's social media presence, which obviously is extremely important in this era of COVID. The fact that that anybody, let alone them, has been able to recruit as well as they have, considering that they can't schedule visits, they haven't had that face-to-face interaction with recruits, is impressive in itself. But, But Boston College has done a complete 180 in terms of how that the program and the athletic department are marketed. You know, yeah. when you go back to, to Steve Adazio's years, they had a social media presence, but 
but it was nothing like this. You didn't see, you didn't see the videos from camp. You didn't yeah. see, uh, you didn't see a lot of the, the pictures and the tweets announcing, you know, recruits committing or or transfers or whatever you you want to use yeah. as an example. It's a completely different program in terms of the way the program is now being marketed. How important do you think that is for this program? Because again, under Adazio, they didn't really invest in marketing and promoting the program. They relied heavily on alumni and having a local presence. But now Boston College is giving this vibe that they're actually becoming a national program. Yeah, we talked about this again from that very first day. I asked Halfley, you know, how important it was to him to kind of build a base in this area. Um, you know, obviously, every head coach that takes a job anywhere is going to say, yeah, look, you know, we want to recruit around here. But, man, they've done it. And they've done it early and often in a time where, again, you've mentioned it, recruiting is not easy. And, and that's an understatement. So uh, not only that, but the social media, it's not just the team. It's the individuals. Um, the coaching staff is really pushing, you know, kids to be there, um, to show their personalities on on Twitter. And um, Alec Winstrom, he has his own podcast, Offensive Lineman. Um, they're doing a ton of stuff that you don't see a lot of programs doing. And uh, it's great to see. And it's only going to help the recruiting as well. Yeah, and they're going to need to do those things because despite the fact that the facilities have improved immensely there, mm -hmm. and I've been around that program for a long time, as a coach and as someone who's covered the program. Yeah. And obviously the facilities, the fish field house, they speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. Alumni stadium is what it is. I mean, you're always, you're always going to be in the bottom third of the ACC in terms of, of a stadium and atmosphere. Yeah. It is again, like I said, it is what it is. It's yeah. not an arc on Boston college, but unfortunately you can only expand so much on what they have over there. Mm -hmm. But I think to your point, I, I think why, it's been an effective strategy because when you look at the kids that have transferred in here and when you look at the kids that they're landing from some of the high school hotspots around the country, it's obvious that what they're doing on social media is working. It's been an effective tool. And I think it's going to pay off long term, especially once you start getting a commitment from the local kids. I think once this staff, once this staff, gain some traction in Massachusetts and New England, mm -hmm. I think you're going to see them have an even bigger footprint nationally because it's not just going to be in key states like New Jersey and Virginia and Florida right. and New York and Ohio, but now you're also going to be able to compete for kids in your own backyard, which, let's face it, under Steve Adazio, they started to lose that battle. And, and yeah. you know this as well as anybody. Michigan has, has cleaned up around here in the last mm -hmm. five years. So I, I love what they're doing what their what what their social media and, and and trying to develop a footprint of sorts, if you will, on social media because it, you have to. I mean, we live in an era now where where kids love sharing the process, right? They love sharing with the rest of the world that they're being recruited and that they're getting letters, and they want to feel the love. and And you got to do that if you want to if you want to get more in three and four star commitments. Mm -hmm. And I think that Boston College is doing that now. Let's uh, let's get into the team themselves. Let's start with the offense. Obviously, both of us are really excited about the offensive potential of this football team. I'm impressed with the Frank Signetti hire. I thought that was a great hire yeah. for this program. You're bringing in a guy who can blend pro style and spread concepts, which is what I think they're going to do. 
But then on top of that, you use your coaching connections, your inroads with previous recruits, and you really beef up the roster with transfers. Mm -hmm. And I think if this team is competitive this year, it's going to be because of these transfers, namely quarterback Phil Djokovic. Agreed. It's funny you bring up Djokovic. He's halfway still denying to uh, to name a starter, which I know crawls under your skin a little bit. But uh, it's funny how he's kind of, you know, pulling that whole thing. But, uh, yeah, man, look, we've talked about the offense extensively. For me, it's all about the speed. They have speeded almost every skill position. Uh, and, again, you've brought up the tight end. I always forget to leave him out. Hunter Long is going to be huge this year. Uh, but in terms of the speed, look, man, Kobe White, Zay Flowers, uh, Jalen Gill, David Bailey in the backfield, and I just mentioned Long. That's that's hard for teams to to match up against, no matter who it is in the ACC um, or anyone for that matter. So uh, I can't wait to see how creative they get. <clears throat> excuse me, um, on offense this year. Last year, Adazio, look, he had Flowers and he had White. He didn't really use him. I think there was one or two games where we were at last year that you know they would flash maybe in the Richmond game or the VTech game, uh, but they got quiet the rest of the year. I don't think that's going to happen with Signetti. He's going to put guys in positions to make plays all season. So uh, I can't wait to see the creativity. I, I will say this. In defense of that staff, I thought Mike Bajakian did a really good job last year, their offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. I thought he did try to advance the offense beyond being a 60-40 run-to-pass team. And they tried to – they ran jet sweep with Zay Flowers – yeah. They started to experiment with some RPO stuff. They did some different things with personnel groupings and formations. I, 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 and, and look, say what you will about their performance last year against Clemson and some of the upper echelon teams in the ACC. I thought that that may have been the most productive offense of the Steve Adazio era last year. And again, a lot of that is a credit to Mike Bajakian. But, but piggybacking off of what you said, I think that this is going to be a completely different approach. I think gone are the days where you're going to see this team get into, you know, 23 personnel and try to run the ball downhill, run power, run hammer, and try to run the ball down your throat and try to control the clock that way. I, I think you're going to you're going right. to see them be more of what you see is what you get. And what I mean by that is I think Adazio was conflicted because in his heart of hearts, he's a two-back power guy, pound the ball, but then he also wanted to incorporate some of that Urban Meyer, uh, Bowling Green, Utah, Florida stuff when he was with them at Florida. And they could never quite find that balance offensively. And so yeah. I think it's going to be important for them to have more. They, they had an identity under Adazio, right? We know what their identity was. Pound the ball, beat the crap out of people. Right. But I think – this offense is, is going to be more like what we're seeing around college football, but they're not going to be exclusively a spread team. They're going to get under center. They're going to run the football from under center. They're going to throw from under center. They're going to move the pocket for their quarterbacks from under center. So I, I think you will see a difference in that regard. It's not going to be, well, if A.J. Dillon's not going early, we're in trouble, which is what yeah. they became at the end of the season. I mean, when you look at the way as good as that offense was, when Anthony Brown was healthy and starting, they really regressed on the stretch once Grossell took over. And then let's face it, this isn't a knock on Dennis Grossell, mm -hmm. but I think they became easier to defend. They couldn't really get the ball to their perimeter people to take pressure off that running game. 
I think they've got the perimeter people now. You mentioned Kobe White. You mentioned mm-hmm. Zay Flowers. You mentioned Gill. I think when you add those guys to the tight end group that they have, okay, you got Hunter Long, Danny Dalton, uh, Joey Lucchese comes over from defensive end to play tight end. Yeah. That's a deep group. You got a deep group of backs. They've got a lot of nice pieces. Signetti's going to have a lot to work with, but I still say this, my friend. It's going to come down to what they get out of the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. If Phil Jakovic is the guy and, and he can prove he can be the guy, that's going to be immense for this team. Because now you've got a guy who's a four-star guy coming out of high school who's got the mm-hmm. physical traits, the size, to be a very good starting quarterback at this level. If they can get him at a place where he's comfortable, I, I think this offense is going to give a lot of defenses fits in the ACC this season. Yeah, so just real quick, in fairness, Anthony Brown's injury last year killed them because um, they were – yeah, I agree. Yeah, so uh, I, I do want to say that, obviously. Um Again, offensively early on, they looked good those first few games, you know, that we were there for. That injury did kill them. Uh, but, again, you mentioned the creativity last year. For some reason, it was just uh, – it was never – they never really felt like a threat to me. You know what I mean? So uh, that's more so what I'm looking forward to about this year's team is that every time they're on the field, someone's going to – Well, I look, I here's the thing. I mean, again, I think we're all high on Frank Signetti and what they're gonna do on offense. But I but I do agree with you. I think that the diversity of their offense suffered once Brown got hurt. Yeah. Because obviously you can do more things in the passing game with him, but also their ability to get their receivers involved kind of went out the window. And so Bajakian had to do a lot of window dressing, a lot of motion, a lot of trading and moving and trying to find ways to generate offense that wasn't necessarily going to come from the running game, but because you weren't getting the consistent production that you needed out of the quarterback position, I think it hurt him. And again, I'm not trying to knock Rossell here, but this idea that Halfley's floating around, that I'm not naming a starting quarterback until Saturday at 11.55 is a bunch of garbage. I think if, if they're even, it's Jakovic. I think if Grossell outperformed Jakovic in camp, I still think it's probably Jakovic. So yeah. the way I see it, you need to see what you have in him. He's obviously a big-time acquisition this offseason. He was a big-time recruit. Getting him into your program, you hope if he plays to his, his ability, is going to pay dividends. But that's going to be the key to me because yeah. you have everything else. You have a good skill group. You have one of the best offensive lines in the country returning. But if you don't get consistent play from that position, none of that's going to matter, my friend, because that's the name of the game. It's the most important position in sports for a reason. Yeah, it's funny, too, real quick. We didn't even talk about the offensive line. That's the best offensive line in the country, maybe. Uh, so, I mean, look, they're set up for success. And like you said, it's a matter of how much Djokovic brings to the table uh, and then just how creative they get overall. Well, and the thing with that offensive line is, look, David Bailey's not A.J. Dillon. I know a lot of people will look at his numbers and say, well, he had a really good year last year, and, and he can do this better than Dillon. Dillon was the epitome of a workhorse. Dillon is one of those guys, and there are not very many of them left in football on any level now. Dillon was one of those guys 
that you could literally give him the ball 35 to 40 times yeah. a game. Yeah. That's not David Bailey. Okay, David Bailey is probably going to be most effective getting 15 to 20 carries a game. So, so having a, a yeah. diverse philosophy on offense is going to be extremely important for this program because you're not going to have that bell cow 30 to 35 carry a game back like you had in A.J. Dillon. You're going to have to be more balanced, yeah. more diverse offensively. And you know what? They should be striving for that anyway, Kevin. You shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't be relying. In football, you can't rely on one guy to carry you, even if it's your best player, even if he's one of the best players at his position in your league or your conference or, or in the country, the bottom line is you got to have complementary pieces because if you don't, you're not maximizing what that player gives you. So, yeah, I think at the end of the day, everything's in place for them to be better offensively because I think not only has the talent been upgraded, but I think that the philosophy – is different now. Let's uh, shift gears here. Let's talk about the defense. Mm -hmm. Now, defensively last year, first thing that jumps out at me when I think about Boston College defensively last year was they gave up a lot of big plays, yep. and this was a team that also struggled at times to get off the field on third down, very similar to the New England Patriots in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to see a complete scheme shift here. Okay, under Jim Reed a couple of years ago, they were three four team, and then last year under Bill Sheridan, they became kind of a four three under type of team. Uh, Tim Lubaku, the new defensive coordinator, former linebacker coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, he's going to be a multiple 40 guy. You're going to see a 40 base, but I think you're going to see some 30 fronts. You're going to see them play a lot of nickel. You're going to see them play a lot of dime. I think you're going to see a lot of zone pressure. It's going to be a pro-style defense. Mm -hmm. But my question to you is this. How important is it for this defense to get off to a good start? You mentioned last night when we did our weekly podcast that their schedule is harder now. Yeah. And they had, with Ohio, Holy Cross, they had a couple of quote-unquote winnable games there. Yeah. But how important is it for this defense to get off to a good start starting this weekend? Huge, and it's for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, look, the entire team has bought in to what the staff has sold them so far. If you start 0-3 and you're giving up, you know, 30 points a game, kids are going to start having their doubts, you know? Um, so I I have a lot of faith in Tim, just from talking to him through a few uh, – Different Zoom calls. And, now, are you guys on a first name basis because you call them Tem? I just want to know. Well, it's just easier. Um, okay. I, well, I always mess up either Lukabu, Lukabu. I don't know. Um, but, anyways, so I have confidence that they'll be able to, like you said, the, the scheme is going to be different. That NFL experience is huge to me. And it, it's it's easy to sell kids on that experience when you see results. Um, so, that, yeah, that early start is going to be huge especially against two teams like Duke and Texas State. Um, those are two teams that they can kind of not necessarily tee off on, um, but, you know, establish, establish that base early on and, and be able to build off of it. Um, so, yeah, I think it's huge. Yeah, and again, look, I mean, they have a lot to replace along the defensive line, but their back seven is still pretty good. They got a lot of guys coming back. You got Max Richardson at linebacker. You got Mike Palmer. You got Brendan Sebastian. Uh, they've got a lot of talent back in that back seven. And while they struggled at times last year, I think that that back seven is going to be the strength of this defense. It's yeah. going to come down to what they get out of that front seven. And I think that's why getting a late transfer like Luke Beckett is huge for this program. Yeah. This yeah. is a guy who's been a proven commodity for the last three years at Cal. And now you get him into your program, 
and you put him, he can play the three technique for you. He can play a five technique for you. Mm -hmm. You can kick him inside a tight end and he can play a seven. He can play an eight or a nine over there or outside the tight end. You can do a lot of different things with him depending on, on your personnel groupings and alignments. And so I think for me, I think that they have to get off to a good start defensively because look, defenses traditionally are ahead of offenses. It might be at the beginning of the year, it might be a little bit different now in, in, in living in this COVID world where it yeah. seems like offenses yeah. are a little bit ahead of defenses. But this defense is going to need to play at a high level, Kevin, because if they don't, no matter how good this offense is or how much potential they have to be good, yeah. if if they're playing from behind a lot and they have to throw the ball and they can't necessarily stay in their game plan, that's going to be a problem. So they're going to have their hands full on Saturday with Duke. With all, you know, you got Chase Bryce, you got – uh, Noah Gray, you got Jake Bobo, two local products. You got a pretty good offensive line. You got a, a good stable of backs there for Duke. They're going to have their hands full. This, this is a good offensive football team. And it would not surprise me if this ended up being a 28 24 kind of game and it could swing to yeah. either side here. Either side could win a 28 24 kind of game. Uh, but, but I think that getting off to a good start is paramount for this program defensively because yeah. if they don't, Again, I don't know if this team – and, again, we don't know what bowls are going to look like. We don't even know if we're yeah. playing bowl games. But in order for this team yeah. to be bowl eligible this year and, and have a good first year that they can build on, it's got to start on the defensive side mm -hmm. of the ball. And, and you have to think, with Halfley being a defensive coach, being a defensive backs right. guy, there's a lot yep. of experience on that side of the ball. Big V coaching the D-line. Okay, you got – as I mentioned, you got Tim – Tem will call him. You got Tem calling the shots on defense. You got Halfley, who obviously the proof is in the pudding in terms of what he's done with defensive backs. All yeah. you got to do is look at Jeff Okuda with the Detroit Lions and Damon Arnett with the Las Vegas Raiders. Those are his guys. He coached yeah. them up last year. And, and they're tremendous players now in the NFL. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think a lot of it, there's a lot of experience there. I think the scheme's going to be good, but I'm not sure it remains to be seen if there's enough talent over there to make the scheme work. So the other, it just gained me, the other defensive coach we haven't even talked about is the one, uh, Sean Druggan, I believe it is, or Dugan, I might have messed that up. Uh, former BC. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, former Eagle, that's huge. You know, have a guy that was here and, and you know, the ringer at BC, now coaching the linebackers as well. So uh, I'll be interested to see, you know, guys like, you know, guys that are going to lead that defense and, and really, again, kind of set the tone early on. Um, and you mentioned Coach V as well. A big weekend for him, too. Uh, former Duke guy going back to Duke to coach. So yeah. uh, hopefully, hopefully the guys, you know, kind of kind of want to play for him as well. So, um, yeah, man, but getting off to that fast start defensively, like I said, I think it's just huge for the buy-in factor. Um, you know, the kids have all bought in early on. Again, if you don't start seeing results, you're going to have kids kind of, you know, starting to question some things. Well, and that's just it. And again, I think there's a lot of experience on that side of the ball with the back mm -hmm. seven. I mean, and there's other guys that we haven't really even talked about. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think that's important. A guy like John Lamont at linebacker. Yeah. John Lamont, I think, could be a huge contributor for this team defensively. He's a guy that's mm -hmm. he's a thumper. He's experienced. He's tough. He's a kind of one of these unheralded leaders of that defense. And I think that that's going to be important for them is guys like that are going to have to elevate their play 
a guy like Ryan Beatro was going to be in their rotation defensive line, former Lawrence yep. Academy product out of Walpole, Mass. He's a guy that's going to have to play some meaningful snaps from that for them because even though you get Luke Beckett, and I'm not even going to attempt to say his name, uh, the defensive tackle they got from Buffalo because I can't oh, say yeah. the guy's name. We'll call him Buffalo. It's but fine. even though you got Beckett and Buffalo coming in, and, and they're going to fill two big needs yeah. along your defensive line, especially replacing productive players like Tanner Carafa. I, I think it's important that those guys get acclimated quick, and I think it's going to be incumbent upon these veterans on the back seven to get these guys caught up real quick. So I think that there's a lot of talent on that side of the ball. Again, it's hindsight's always twenty twenty. I don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy anyway. I don't think Bill Sheridan, for all the experience that he has, especially the amount of NFL experience that he has, mm -hmm. uh, I don't think he did a particularly good job calling the defense last year. I thought Jimmy Reed did a much better job before him. And obviously before Coach Reed was Coach Brown, and his his resume speaks for itself. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think the pieces are there. I think it's just a matter of how do they want to play. Now, again, if, if, if you're trying to line up straight and play people straight and just lean on your talent to win you games defensively, mm -hmm. you got to be really good in order to do that. If you can't do it, then you're going to have to play outside your scheme. And what I mean by that is they're going to have to blitz more. They're going to have to yep. take more chances. They're going to have to play more man coverage. Obviously, in order to do those things, you still have to have a certain type of player in order to effectively do those things. So it remains to be seen. Now, let, let's talk about season expectations here as we wrap this up. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just going to cut right to the chase, okay? What are your expectations for this football team in 2020? What, in your opinion – from a record standpoint, what would be a good season for Boston College football? So it can't get much uglier, right? Um, a seven really for them. Um, a six five feels after everything we've talked about. Win team feels a little bit too low for me. Uh, it feels like they're they're better than what people give them credit for. Uh, and by all means, things really. On preseason, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how much Halfley uses that. But I think they're at least a seven-win team, man. Well, I, I'm, I, I really don't know if I want to go there. You know, I, I would like to. I, I would like to be a, a promoter of the program and go there. But, but I, listen, man, I'm not in this to, to, to PR people, okay? Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is, I don't see seven wins out of this program. I think six wins is a is a realistic number. Uh, but but I think at best they win seven. Anything more than that, and I think they they completely outkick their coverage. Um, mm -hmm. I think when you look at that schedule, seven wins is is going to be tough to come by. You're going to have to beat people like Duke, like Pitt, like North Carolina programs that even though I think North Carolina is better than them, but yeah, programs that are right around what you are. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to have to take care of business in those games and then catch a break against Notre Dame and catch a break against Clemson. I think that's going to be the key. Now, is seven wins out of the realm of possibility? No. I, I, no. I think this roster is talented enough to right. win seven games. The problem that I have is I think winning that many games might be hard, a hard ask of a first-year staff. In other words, I think on paper they can do it, but they're going to have to get a couple breaks along the way yeah. And I think there's going to be some growing pains there until they get 
comfortable with playing in these off in this offense and this defensive for Jeff Halfley. Yeah, so I'm with you there. The only thing uh, I might be kind of overrating is the whole no fans thing. You know, those some of those atmospheres that they're going to be going into now, they aren't going to be the same. Um, so I do give them. Yeah, you know, I don't think you're overrating that. I, I agree with you. So that that might be more so where I'm getting my seven wins from. Look, I don't think they're going to go into Death Valley and win, whether there's five people there or or 105,000. Uh, but I do think a lot of a lot of the games they have this year really kind of change based on crowds and stuff. So uh, again, I don't want to overdo that, but I think it's a huge factor for them, especially with that first year staff. Uh, just in terms of communication and, and all that. Well, let's play a quick game here. Why don't we play a quick game? Let's go through their schedule and let's yeah, just no. yeah, let's just go through their schedule real quick and see whether or not we think they're going to win or lose that game and if we agree or disagree. All right? Okay. So this Saturday they open at Duke. Do they win or lose that game? So I'm going to say they win. That's just more of the heart than head. <laughs> or head than heart. You know what? Right. I'm going to agree with you. I think Duke is pretty good, but I think that Boston College is a little better. And, and despite the fact that they're not getting the love that they should be getting nat nationally, I think they're a little bit better. So I'm going to go with BC there. Texas State, I think we both agree they'll beat Texas State. Oh, yeah. Yeah. UNC comes to town on October 3rd. I like North Carolina in that game. I, I am very high on uh, Mac Brown and his Tar Heels. Yeah, I mean, I, we talked about them last night. They're good. I like BC here, again, just because of the home factor. Um, they also have three home games in a row. So I think they, you know, that's kind of, um, that'll be nice for them to to be able to have, you know, a routine for three straight weeks. So uh, I like BC in an upset there. Yeah. I, now let's go to um, the 10th, October 10th. Mm -hmm. They host Pitt. Pitt's an interesting team. Pat Narduzzi's done a really good job recruiting there. They've got some talent. I'm going to pick BC in that game, but I think it's going to be a close one. Yeah, so do I. And this feels like um, one of those games you were just talking about, kind of that group, you know, that middle group of the ACC. This is one of those games where they have to win if they kind of want to take that next step up. All right, so now, just to update people, I have them at 3-1. and one. You have them at 4-0. Oh. Mm -hmm. So either you really love Halfley or you're delusional. Um <laughs> Boston College at Virginia Tech on October 17th. I think Virginia Tech is out for revenge in that one after losing their season opener up here last year. I like the Hokies. Hokies, to me, a lot of people are sleeping on the Hokies in the ACC. I think that they're better than people think. I like them in that game. Who do you got? I do, too. And, again, you mentioned the revenge factor last year. That game was close down to the wire, if I remember correctly. Um, I think BC pulled away kind of late. Uh, but, yeah, I like VTech there, too. Again, on the road, whether fans or not, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I do like VTech there. All right. Next we have Georgia Tech comes to town on October 24th. I like Boston College in that one. I know a lot of people are making a lot out of their win this past weekend at Florida State, but Florida State is not the Florida State of 10 years ago. That, that's yeah. not a big win anymore. Mike Norvell has yeah. his hands pulled down there. Uh, anybody could go into Tallahassee and win now. It's a nice win for, for a program yeah. that's starting a freshman quarterback, but I don't think Georgia Tech is that good. In fact, I think UCF beats them this weekend. Uh, I've got Boston College in that one. Yeah, same for every single reason you just said. <laughs> All right, so right now I am at 4-2 and two, and you have them at 5-1, and one, just mm -hmm. so you know. 
All right, next on Halloween night, they go to Clemson. And uh, I don't see them being within two touchdowns of the Tigers in that game, probably more. So I see them losing that one. I'm assuming you feel the same way. Yeah, the only kind of real interesting thing is uh, it's a little bit of a revenge game for Halfley, you know, after Ohio State uh, and the national championship last year. So, yeah, but it's not going to matter. Let, let's no, listen. No, that, no. That all, I'm just saying that all sounds yeah. good, dude, but it comes down to Jimmy's yeah. and Joe's, and their Jimmy's and Joe's are better than his. No, agreed, agreed. I, I'm taking clubs in. Uh, it's just kind of an interesting, you know, little storyline to watch for. Yeah, so I've got them at four and three now. You have them at five and two. Mm-hmm. Next, they traveled to Syracuse, and they thumped Syracuse up there last year. I've got them winning this one. I just think that they're in a better place as a program right now. Dino Babers has done a really nice job recruiting at Syracuse, but I just, for whatever reason, I, it hasn't come together quite enough for him there on a consistent basis. I like BC to win that one and improve to five and three. Yeah, I like BC too. I don't think Syracuse has been legitimately good since I was like 10 years old. Well, since Donovan McNabb was there, at the very least. So, I, I never take that seriously anymore. All right. So, I have them at 5-3. and three. You have them at 6-2 and two after that one. All right. Next, Notre Dame comes to town on November 14th. I'm going to go with the Fighting Irish in this one. While I, I admittedly, and I said this last night, I think they're overrated. I do think they're better than Boston College right now. That might be one of the few offensive lines in the country that's better than BC's. I like the Irish in that one. With that loss, I have them now at five and four. Who do you got in that one? Yeah, I'm going to reluctantly take Notre Dame here. Um, again, they're obviously more talented. I'm a little bit skeptical about Notre Dame after that Duke game. I know we talked about it at length last night. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's just – they're a better team right now. Who knows, maybe whatever, four weeks from now or or six weeks from now, it's, it's a lot closer. But, yeah, for right now, it's Notre Dame. Yeah, and next – on uh, on uh, <laughs> on November 27th, two weeks after that, Thanksgiving weekend, the Louisville Cardinals come to town. Louisville is very good. They got a big game this weekend at home against Miami. I've got Louisville in that one. I, 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 I think they're deep. They're talented. I don't think Boston College matches up from a skill standpoint. I've got Louisville winning that one, and I've got them at 5-5 five and five right now. Who do you got in that one? Yeah, I like Louisville there, too. Again, it, we can say it now. We don't know how you know how similar or how close these teams are going to be when the game rolls around. But obviously, right now you got to look at Louisville. All right, so I have them at five and five. You have them at six and four. And finally, they wrap up the season on December fifth at Virginia. I have them winning that one. And if there are bowl games, that's a game that'll make them bowl eligible. I have them at six and five. Virginia was pretty good last year. Yeah. Lost a lot of talent off that team. I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year. I think BC can go in there and win. What do you got? Yeah, I'm with you. I got to get them to seven wins somehow. So, well, there uh, you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you said, I don't think Virginia's as good as they were last year. Uh, and I think Halfley kind of, you know, uh, he'll end the regular season on a high note. Yeah, so there you go. So I think they're a six and five type of program. You think they're seven and four. And yeah. now that we. We broke their schedule down. We both agree that's probably somewhere where they're going to end up. And, and, and look, I know that the faithful don't want to hear that, but, but this program's a long ways away right now from being an ACC contender or, or something more than that. They've been there before. Remember, in 2007, they got as high as number two in the country under yeah. Je- Jeff Jagosinski when Matt Ryan was here. They can get back there. Mm-hmm. I, I know people think I'm crazy when I say that. They've been there before. 
they can get there again. I know that the admissions process over there makes it a little harder for them than pretty much every other program in their yeah. conference. But I think that a six and five, seven and fourteen for this team is a pretty good year, and I think it's a good foundation for Jeff Halfley and the staff to build on. Yeah, with you, man. Again, uh, it's all about recruiting from from our perspective, at least. Um, I can't wait to see, you know, especially locally, how many more kids hop on board with them. Uh, the whole get in mantra, it seems to be working. So uh, I can't wait for the season to kick off on Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be fun, man. And we're looking forward to uh, covering. And, of course, you're going to be at all the home games. Uh, mm-hmm. And we will we will have a bunch of stuff on Boston College up throughout the week. Uh, you know, we're committed to covering the Patriots, Boston College, all the Division One college programs in New England plus Massachusetts high school football. We'll dip into Rhode Island a little bit too. But Boston College is a big part of our coverage, and um, we we really enjoy covering the program. And And we would encourage alumni and, uh, you know, members of the Boston College community to follow along with us because, again, I think you're going to like our coverage. It's, it's something unique. And one of the things I will say about the Boston College media community around here, um, we're all really good to each other. You know, we support each other. We share each other's stuff. Um, it's a pretty cool community to be a part of. So we, we're we really excited about, um, you know, sharing our views and our thoughts about the Boston College football program with you, but also promoting the program. Because when I was a kid, okay, before Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the Patriots became what they were, uh, when you look at the early 90s around here, late 80s, early 90s, when the Patriots sucked tail, uh, Boston College football was a big deal under Tom Coughlin, Glenn Foley, and those teams. Uh, 1993, they go into Notre Dame and knock off number one Notre Dame on a last-second field goal by David Gordon. So, it, this is a program that's been there. They've had their they've had their fair share of 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 adoration in this area, and I think he can get back there again with Halfley, provided he stays. I think that's the key. He can get this thing going. But Kevin, I will say this, and we've talked about this throughout the spring and the summer. I think in order for him to do that, they have to have a winning season this year. The honeymoon's over now. Now it counts, and they got to go out there and win at least six games so that they can really build on what they're doing but also get the support they need. Yeah, and you talked about how big they, they used to be. Um, I was five for that Notre Dame game, so uh, I don't remember you know them being that good really throughout my childhood and most of my adulthood, but um, look, they're on Nesson this weekend. I think they were on TV around here maybe once or twice last year. Um, so that's already kind of kind of big for them, um, you know. So the more success they have, I think more people will start hopping back on board, and and hopefully people hop on board with us as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we're looking forward to this season and 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 covering the program. And hey, given everything that's happened in the world since March, we're just excited that we're going to get an opportunity to cover Boston College football, and we're certainly thankful for that. Well, that's it for this special uh, podcast that we dropped today. This twenty twenty. Boston College Football Preview. As always, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can follow Kevin at KStone06, and you can follow me at UFTBJ. For Kevin Stone, I'm John Serenitas. Until next time, peace. See ya.